0: You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WBETM Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We are in the dining room at the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island for the 2021 Mackinac Policy Conference. We are talking with the political and business leaders who are gathered here, as we normally do each spring, to talk about all of the issues that we face, all the challenges that we face uh, as a region in Southeast Michigan, but also as a state. Um, so let's, let us me just start this next conversation with a question. Why don't we just put power lines underground? It's a question that more and more Michiganders are asking these days after the summer we've had that has seen so many extreme weather events that have knocked out the power for tens of thousands of residents for extended periods of time. For years, most utilities have shunned the idea of burying those power lines, saying it was too costly, and noting that burying power lines comes with its own set of problems for customers. But at least one of Michigan's major utility executives is saying it's time for utilities to rethink that stance. Garrick Rochow is the president and CEO of Consumers Energy and he joins me now to talk about why his company is serious about putting its power grid underground. Garrick Rochow, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Thank you, Steve, and it's great to be on the great to be on the show. Yeah,
0: so you said to Crane's Detroit business yesterday that it's time to rethink the long-standing utility stance that bearing power lines wasn't the right solution for reliability. Tell me what changed your mind and why you think now is the time to take this option pretty seriously.
1: Well, you said it. and In fact, in the utility space, we've shunned it for some time Mm -hmm. and it has been cost prohibitive to Mm -hmm. put uh, lines underground. And and the challenge you run into is when there is a disruption, uh, when it's above ground, you can see where the fault exists Mm -hmm. and you can repair it quickly. Where it's underground, it's much more difficult. But we've seen the price for underground construction continue to decline. Uh, that's been a major factor of it, and when we think about the the maintenance of that line, that continues to be an improvement in cost and mm-hmm. cost cost competitive. And and you know, here's it's not at all you know it's not we go and move everything underground. It's it's a surgical approach. There are areas and communities that serve those lines serve a lot of customers where there's uh, many trees, and we can move those lines underground in a very again a very surgical approach. And then there's other areas, more rural areas, where we're gonna you know, put in uh, larger poles and what's called aerial spacer cable and other things to be able to ensure reliability there. But bottom line, it's, a, it's becoming more and more affordable and, and two, we value our customers' reliability. We know they, they rely on electricity mm-hmm. for their, not only their needs, but uh, uh, whether it's refrigeration or in the future, electric vehicles. And we wanna make sure we deliver every day.
0: So, uh, can you put a dollar figure? on what this would cost and who would pay would it be uh, consumers uh, customers who would have to foot the bill
1: you know we're going to make sure that our bills continue to be affordable here you know the average cost of electricity is four dollars a day here -hmm. in michigan and and so we want to make sure you you can't buy a cup of coffee or even a hamburger for four dollars and so we get all the electricity you need for that that price and so we're going to continue to make thoughtful investments in the uh, in the energy system um, and keep affordability in mind because we know that's important for all Michigan residents. So, we're investing about five point four billion dollars over the next uh, five years to make uh, to make these investments improve reliability for all our customers. Hmm.
0: So, um, utilities in the past have also pointed out that this is not a magic bullet. That burying the power lines has its own set of issues that might frustrate customers uh, maybe just as much as what we are dealing with now. Talk a little bit about what those issues are and how you weigh them, I guess, against the benefits of doing this.
1: So where I started is customers' expectations are continuing to grow around electricity. There's more and more devices that use electricity. The businesses are, are um, you know, again, more and more connected. You add electric vehicles to the system, and the demand and the pull across that electric system grows we need to ensure the reliability there and that's what we're doing we're continuing to make investments along those lines Uh, some of the challenges you run in when you put uh, again we want to do it in a thoughtful approach in certain areas but imagine someone's in your yard and and, uh, doing work for your home Mm -hmm. Um, maybe they're putting in a sprinkler system and they get a little deep they could get into the electric system that's Mm a that's a challenge it could disrupt that uh, two, when the insulation wears down over time, you can get a fault, and then you got to find that fault. It's a much longer process to restore customers uh, when you when you have a fault, just because you simply can't see it like you can above ground. Yeah. So,
0: and and are those reasons that uh, that, that, that customers mm-hmm. might say, "Hey, I don't I don't want to do this." I mean, it, will it be up to customers on their property, for instance, to decide whether they want to have those power lines buried?
1: You know, we work, we hear a lot of information from our customers. I see a daily report of what customer feedback is, and, and then we work with those customers for the best best solutions. And so obviously talking about the benefits of where it's appropriate to be underground, and then there's going to be a lot of areas where we're going to improve it, but it's going to be above ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, when the power's not there, well, that's what our customers, that's when we hear from our customers the most. We want to assure we continue to reduce the amount of interruption for our customers
0: yeah. uh, I, I want to back up just a bit and talk about this crazy summer that we've had and these storms uh, the frequency and the intensity uh, the loss of power that that so many people have experienced when you think about this summer at this point can you can you come up with things that you feel like the utilities should have done differently now in the short term uh, to make sure that fewer people lose power or that when people do lose power, uh, they get it back quicker.
1: I'd, I'd offer a couple things. One, since 2018, we've increased our electric reliability spend by 30%. And that's replacing poles and wires and doing you know underground work where appropriate. And we've been, since uh, over the last three years, we've increased our forestry and tree trimming uh, spend by 60%. That's the number one cause of outages. And so... You know, the challenge we have is that with climate change, uh, we are seeing more severe weather patterns mm-hmm. across uh, across Michigan, but not just Michigan, across the U.S. You see it out west, you see it in Louisiana, you see it through some of the flooding we saw through Tennessee and New Jersey. And so it's an effort across this industry uh, that we started uh, a few years ago, but there's more work to be done just given the severity of climate change. Yeah. Um-
0: Customers are really frustrated with uh, utility companies, and, and they're talking about all kinds of things that they might want to see done. One of the ideas that has come up a couple times even on our show is the idea of uh, making the grid public rather than private. Uh, make the case to our listeners for why we have a privately owned and operated electric grid.
1: You know, one of the things uh, I've worked for both a public utility and uh, an investor-owned utility, and um, an investor—you you have pluses and, and, and minuses either way. But it's clearly, an investor-owned utility is 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 the best choice because we're our ability to access low-cost capital, uh, a complete focus on our customers, and frankly the the size that matters, we can, we can get economics of scale, which brings lower cost uh, electricity to our customers.
0: Hmm. So another idea that I've heard is tying utilities' profits to reliability standards, which is, I guess, something you could do through the regulatory structure here uh, in Michigan. Uh, I, I don't imagine you would be in favor of that, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. but tell me why that wouldn't serve customers better.
1: In fact, there are many there are already performance standards in place. and we look each year uh, to reinvest in the system. In fact, we do that. rather than pass on uh, pass on savings to our shareholders or in you know um, investment opportunities, we continue to reinvest in the system. Uh, that's been a practice uh, we've done for the last you know a number of years. Uh, And so we're very much invested in Michigan. When Michigan does well and when our customers do well, that's where we want to be. And so we've reduced our our profit margins um, uh, already to be able to serve our customers better. Mm, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, So I want to talk about a slightly different uh, topic. Uh, Consumers has made a commitment to eliminate coal for power generation by 2025. Uh, I want to talk about whether you're on track to meet that commitment and uh, why consumers I guess decided to to set that goal
1: yeah we we just filed this plan with the Michigan Public Service Commission in June it's to eliminate coal we want to be one of the first utilities in the nation to eliminate coal by 2025 as, as you reference there and so we're already in the midst of building solar uh, to be able to meet the needs of our customers and we've put in agreements for uh, Acquiring a couple of natural gas plants uh, that will also ensure backup and resiliency across the electric grid So we don't have a situation like tech like we had in Texas And so we're well underway to make that that possible We work also with those communities where those coal plants retire and those co-workers to bring them into other roles and train them for other roles and Ensure economic growth and development in those communities where those plants where mm. those plants close Yeah.
0: But- What about competition in uh, the utilities sector? There's a lot of people who who feel as though uh, we don't have the right sort of balance there, I guess, in in Michigan. Consumers uh, is is one of the the, the two energy companies that I think most people are, are familiar with. Should we have more competition in the
1: marketplace? you know if if everyone knew me they know that it's about it's about competition <laughs> and in fact you know you asked the question earlier about the difference between an IOU and municipal, mm-hmm. uh, there was really no competition in the municipal space that's uh, uh, right that would eliminate the, it. Uh, yeah, in the investor owned utility space it's very much about competition there mm-hmm. are look we're in the middle of a clean energy transformation there are when we talk about the solar build out I competitively bid all of, all of my work and so we are very much looking at getting the lowest cost uh, for every one of our customers, and so we have not only competitive bid processes, but we do a mix of uh, developing our own and uh, developing with others to ensure the best the best prices, in, including in the investor-owned utility space. Uh, between utilities, there's healthy competition for dollars with mm-hmm. investors, and so we're always looking to be Uh, improve uh, both customer service and predictability from an earnings perspective and so there's a lot of competition in this space and the other thing I would add is right now customers have options to be able to put solar on their home or solar or battery uh, backup and different options those are very those are substitutes for the traditional utility Mm -hmm. and again as long as there's substitutes there is competition in this and it's a growing uh, growing field of competition and we're up for it and uh, and uh, we're prepared to be uh, successful in that space. Yeah.
0: So, so when we are discussing the things that have happened this summer and and the failures that we've seen um, with the electrical grid, there's a lot of big numbers that people sort of throw out in terms of what they say we need to to update the system, to upgrade the system for. Um, f- for climate change, really, uh, and and for the the sort of circumstances that that we face. And uh, the question I keep asking is, okay, well, uh, let's say it's $9 billion. Let's say it's $17 billion or whatever it is. That's a lot of money, and it it seems to me like it would require a pretty fundamental change in the way that we as customers, uh, among other uh, parties who are involved, have to think about the way that we pay for these things. Uh, You pointed out that it's about $4 a day uh, to have electricity. Um, If it were $8 a day, um, I I imagine I wouldn't be happy about that with my bill and and neither would other customers, but would that, for instance, get us to the place where we need to be? Do we need to be more realistic, I guess, about what it costs to have a system that's not as vulnerable.
1: So I, I think it speaks to your, your previous qu- question. We're uh, fanatical about reducing costs out of our system. And so whether that's, you know, this this switch we just talked about and moving, retiring coal and, and moving to renewables saves our customers $650 million. And so it's not always, hey, we want to improve reliability. It's an adder. It There are some things where we want to make investment. We talked about $5.4 billion over the next year. Yeah, that there's a cost associated with that. But you can bet we are fanatical about reducing costs for our customers. That shows up in in 650 million dollars of savings. It also looks at other things on how we run our operations. Uh, we're uh, you know we practice lean uh, lean manufacturing, and we continue to pull money out of our out of the system each and every year by being more efficient with with our, our resources. And so it's very much uh, both. And so. To say it's going to be eight dollars, no, it's it's not going to be eight dollars. But we have to think about that affordability equation and what are those investments we need to make while also looking to pull costs out.
0: But but is it a? And in some ways, it's kind of a fundamental question: whether it's six dollars or eight dollars or twelve dollars. The idea that that we need more, I think, is the the, the real question. Do we need? to have customers really reframe the way that we think about these things to say we just can't do it with what we have.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things you're, the customer's expectations around uh, electricity are certainly the bars being raised. And if I think about in the future, when you are plugging in an electric vehicle in your home, it's not just, right now in many cases, it's, hey, I'm disrupted. I've lost my refrigeration. I'm in this, you know, I don't have electricity. But now we're going to also potentially impact your car. I can't go to work. You can't go to work. Okay. And so the, the bar is raised. And so you can bet that the expectations around reliability are continuing to increase. And I think it begs the question so, so what do we expect of the utilities? And what is the, what is the cost associated with that?
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, you mentioned solar, and Michigan is one of the least friendly states in the country for rooftop solar. In terms of our laws and our regulations, uh, in the past, utilities mm-hmm. have opposed efforts to make the state more friendly to solar and supported legislation to make it less friendly. Is it time to make that uh, an easier option for people in the state?
1: Yeah, we, we definitely, uh, you know, we're building on 8,000 megawatts of solar. We're encouraging solar growth throughout the U.S., whether you want to put that on your home or on your business or you want to, you want to do it through the utility. Uh, in fact, when you put it on your home, it costs three times the amount uh, for what, what I can build it for. And so you're making a choice to, uh, again, I'm, I'm putting solar on the system. You're making a choice that you're going to pay three times more for your electricity. The other thing that's uh, true here, and we have tried to work uh, with our lawmakers and legislative uh, body, on this to encourage solar development uh, is to make sure that we're removing the subsidy there's $100 a hundred million dollars of subsidy and so if you don't have solar on your home mm-hmm. and there are many customers who don't you're paying for someone else's solar on their home uh, huh. to the tune of a hundred million dollars and so when we remove that subsidy i think that's uh, a really great place to be from a policy standpoint hmm. uh,
0: when you say that you're investing uh, in solar uh, tell us tell us what that looks like i think uh, you know in people's minds uh, solar means panels on people's roofs. Uh, I'm not sure they understand quite what it means for an energy company to, to, to do that
1: yeah so we are putting in solar what called solar at scale and so this is using uh, brownfields this is using uh, uh, in some cases uh, landfills it's it's using uh, in some cases uh, land agricultural land that's uh, not as productive mm-hmm and and building out large solar farms so you'll see as you drive down the the highways or byways within the state you'll see large fields that Mm -hmm. are made up of of solar and a lot of times too like there's a a place in ionia michigan uh, where they've got sheep underneath the solar panels Uh, and so there's a dual use uh, to some of these facilities huh Uh,
0: what about wind Uh, former governor jennifer granholm was uh, always talking about how We were so perfectly situated geographically to take advantage of wind. I I have started to see more and more uh, turbines uh, when I travel through the middle of the state. um, And I'm not sure that most people even know how extensive that that has become. But but how much of a future do we have uh, with wind because of where we are in, in Michigan?
1: There are some great places for wind in Michigan, as, you, as you've noted. And you can look at wind patterns across the state and model that. And many of those areas are, are, uh, are reaching capacity. And we have another wind farm that we're building here in 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, it looks like to be our last wind farm because we are running into just zoning considerations uh, by, uh, by communities. And then, frankly, a lot of the, the, the good places in wind you know are at capacity right now and so much of our new renewable energy growth is in the solar space
0: okay so uh, back to the bearing of the power lines is that something that will start soon is that something you guys have decided is a green light
1: we uh, year after year we put we work on and putting uh, electricity and and underground cable Mm -hmm. uh, underground and so that's something we've been doing Uh, it's a small amount and then we're working with the Public Service Commission on what that looks like here in the future and and could that be a more expansive program but again it's it's surgical in nature it doesn't fit everywhere Um, uh, and so it's really community by community and location by location.
0: Okay, uh, Garrett Rochow, CEO, CEO of Consumers Power, really great to have you here on the program. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having on. me. Yeah. It's great to be here. Okay, uh, that is going to do it for us today. Special thanks to WDET General Manager Mary Zatina and Lisa Brancato for their help with today's show. Tune in tomorrow when Governor Gretchen Whitmer... Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist and Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson all join the show right here at the 2021 Mackinac Policy Conference. This is 101.9 WDETFM at Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.